0: Do I think someday I'll probably own my own business? Probably I'll have a portfolio of small businesses that I manage and own. That's what I would like to do long-term. Yes. But like, I don't know right now. I, I really am enjoying where I'm at and the skill stacking that's coming yeah. along with it is phenomenal. I've grown more in the last three years of working at gym launch than I had in my previous years of existence. Wow. And so thinking about it that way, it's hard to leave something like that, especially with where I'm at personally, I just really like to go after growth. Like what's the next thing that I need to become as a human being to be a better business person, be a better leader, communicator, influencer, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, you're, I mean, being in a business this, at this scale, you're, you're able to learn skill sets that you probably wouldn't if like your business was like, let's say like a, like a million dollar business or a $10 million business, right? It's like, you're facing different challenges, like like skill stacking, different skill sets.
0: The way another way you can think about it too is at the position that I'm at, and not a lot of companies are like this. And I, I don't know how many backstage individuals like myself get to say this, but I'm in a position where basically I could look at Alex and Leila as like outside investors, mm-hmm. right? or advisors and like a PE firm, right? Yeah. A PE company coming in, and they have the money and the resources to be able to help us grow. Yeah, and they're there as a, and being able to help us and drive the growth of the business, but a lot of it on the day to day aspects and a lot of the strategic stuff is on myself and my wife, and our team. And so I get to, we get to have that relationship, in which allows us to grow because we have to. We're forced to grow, right? Because with them out of the business, it forces us to step
1: up. Yeah, it's accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey guys, this is Jeremy and you're listening to episode number 21 of Backstage Careers, the podcast where I interview the operators who are working behind the scenes with big entrepreneurs and creators. And today's guest is particularly impressive. His name is Kale Oven and he's the general manager of Gym Launch, a $30 million a year info business that helps mom and pop gyms get customers and grow into a million dollar business. I first heard of Gym Launch through its founder, Alex Hormozzi, whose name has been popping up again and again in conversations I've been having with my entrepreneurial friends. It seems like every one of my friends who's running a profitable business is listening to this guy's content on YouTube. Alex founded Gym Launch in 2017 and he's now focused on starting and growing other businesses in his portfolio. And because of that, he's handed off the reins of Gym Launch to Kale. We start the interview with Kale talking about his background being homeschooled, playing as a professional baseball player in the MLB, and opening up his own gym and the impact that all of those have on the rest of his career. But if you're mostly interested in the nitty-gritty details about Jim Launch's business operations and sales funnels, and what it's like to be the general manager of a huge info business, feel free to skip ahead. I'll make sure to add the timestamps in the description. And if you like this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you can share it with others on your Instagram stories or on Twitter. And as always, my DMs are open on both Instagram and Twitter, so feel free to reach out with any feedback for the show or any questions you have for me. All right. I hope you enjoy this episode with Kale Ovens. Let's dive in. I want to kind of start off uh, by looking at like your career background and kind of like the journey you've been on since. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you started as a professional baseball player. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, I did. Yeah. How did. were you like recruited from college directly? And like, what was that like?
0: Yeah. So I'll kind of take it a step back, I guess, since I was like, I think I was six years old. Six or seven years old when I saw Derek Teter play for the first time. And I was like, I want to do that. Okay. I saw him play and there was something about him, something about the Yankees. And I was just – and I was in Texas. I was born in Texas. And I was like, man, I want to do that. And so my entire goal from the age of like seven on was to play professional baseball. Like that was my entire goal. And uh, growing up, I was afforded the opportunity of – I was homeschooled my entire life up until oh, nice. college. And so I had the opportunity growing in of being able to spend more time on baseball than school because I actually didn't take summers off growing up. So like I did school all the time. Okay. So by the time I was roughly 13 or 14, I I had the credits and the knowledge to be able to graduate high school, but I didn't because of eligibility for college and everything else. And so in high school got uh, recruited. I actually was not like a big time recruit at all. I was someone who was really, at best, mediocre in high school. I just had this dream and this vision as I'm gonna work as hard as I possibly can to make it. Um, Not a lot of people thought I would actually make it. I got a couple offers in college and I ended up actually going to a small division two college in St. Augustine, Florida. Small town right on the coast of Northeast Florida. Oldest city in the US, random fact, but I was a preferred walk-on. So I didn't even get a scholarship my freshman year. I walked on, I earned a starting spot my freshman year over a transfer that came in. Ended up starting all four years there. And then I signed as a free agent in the Phillies organization, uh, played one season of like rookie ball, made it up to literally one game of high A baseball, um, and then made it through two cuts in spring training the following year. And then was cut on very the very last day of spring training. Ah, uh, it nah, like, It's all good. I was 23 at the time. I played better than I ever had in my life uh, in that spring training. And I gave it everything I had. I went out knowing, looking in the mirror that I gave, gave it everything. Yeah. And, um, uh, I was released, I had a job in the off-season working for a company that did uh, behavior modification through disk assessments plus e-learning. And so I worked there part-time. And then right after, I got released on a Friday. On Monday, I was working full-time with that company. So I just, I hit them up that morning, Friday morning. I was like, hey, just got released. Are you looking for someone full-time? And they're like, yep, start on Monday. And I was like, okay, cool. So.
1: That's fascinating. That's How do you think the homeschooling affected who you are like today as a, as a person, as a leader?
0: It was massive. It made me control my time.
1: Uh huh. It seems like it's almost like the um, kind of like the whole remote, like quarantine stuff, like before before the days, right?
0: Exactly. That's really what it was. So when I went to college, it was really easy for me to control my time and manage my time better than what I would say a lot of my peers struggled when they first went when they go off to college, right? And you kind of have all this freedom. I was already prepared to that or for that because. I essentially, by the time I was 14, was pretty much doing whatever I wanted.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So like from a school standpoint, my mom would give me like certain things that I need to write or do, but most of the time my time was mine. And so I got to spend that time on focusing on things that were going to help me, whether it was baseball, whether it was a skill set, whether it was writing, whatever it might be. And so it really helps, helped me manage my time. It also helped me being kind of the odd man out right? because homeschooling has this, um, A lot of people look at homeschoolers and it's before when I was growing up, it's kind of like you're a nerd, right? You're kind of like the weirdo, the weird homeschool kid that doesn't talk to anybody and you'd get no interaction with other kids your age and peers. And that kind of actually helped me a ton because playing sports, but also being in the homeschool world, I saw both sides. And so I got to really quickly learn how to interact with people um, on both sides, right? I've got super smart, super, really cool amazing friends that I built through homeschooling, um, that maybe don't have the greatest people skills, but they're geniuses. Right. And then I'm on the flip side. I'm on the baseball side interaction with a bunch of people and individuals getting my interaction through that and being able to see both sides, I think really helped me a ton, especially in business period of just being able to quickly relate to people and start Mm -hmm. having conversations and hit it off with people and really get to know them
1: yeah I feel like you probably get like a, like you describe like an understanding of like the whole human spectrum, right like people like from all walks of life.
0: Yeah, without a doubt.
1: Okay, and why do you want to uh, start a gym? Were you like a big uh, like were you like a gym rat at the time or like was that kind of like from the baseball like conditioning days like what what drew you to that?
0: Yeah definitely more on the baseball side. When I was 13, I've always been the smallest person like ever on any team that I was ever on. I was always a tiny kid, so I don't think I broke five foot until I was 13. I think I was like five foot, like 88 pounds when I was 13. Uh And so I was tiny. So I was always the smallest kid. And I became fascinated at the age of 13 of just human performance and what I needed to do and what could I do to help me perform better, primarily on the baseball field. But also as that, as I got older, how can that performance help individuals live a better life, be more productive as human beings, be better fathers, mothers, husbands, daughters, sons you name it, as well as be able to achieve more success in their professional life if they're in better shape and take better care of their bodies.
1: Gotcha. Nice. So I'm assuming you needed, like, did you like save up a bunch of money Did you take a loan to start the business? And then it seems like you were, you were also working while you started the business, right? You didn't stop working. So how was that? I mean, it must have been a lot of, a lot of things to manage.
0: It was a lot. It was it was a crazy time. I was also in the process of getting married during that time. So oh, wow. it like Yeah, it was a lot of stuff. So we got outside investors to help start. Okay. Uh, my buddy and I. He was the majority owner. So I was like a minority owner. I had a small piece and we had outside investors with outside capital that we started.
1: What what's the investment you need normally for, for a type of gym that you're trying to start? It depends on the gym, right?
0: So if you're if you were smaller like ours, you really I started my second gym with Twenty thousand dollars in capital, but we only actually started with no thirty-seven thousand in capital. But we actually only used probably seventeen just to start. Okay, you don't really need a lot of money to start a gym unless it's a big box gym, right? If you're like a a normal, like what most people would think of a gym, where it's a swipe card, twenty-four-seven access, I use the machines. That's what much more expensive. Yeah, probably anywhere in the high hundreds of thousands to over a million dollars easily to outweigh the equipment and everything. But the ones that I was using were strength and conditioning facilities. We don't need a ton of equipment and we could start it and be super lean in the beginning.
1: Okay. Like focused on like coaching? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Much more
0: focused on coaching, much more focused on basic movements, uh, more personal training or large group classes. That's what we focused on. We did a lot of athletes in the beginning as well because my partner was an all-American wrestler at UCF and then I played baseball. So our focus was much more on athletes than general population.
1: Oh, interesting. So conditioning stuff. Very cool. So you're balancing the job. How how did the gym work out? You said you started a second one. So like what, what happened with the first gym?
0: Yeah. So I was a minority owner in the first gym and I enjoyed it. It was great. It was tough. It was really tough. We didn't make a ton of money, but I really enjoyed the grind of helping people, but it got to a point. So my wife and I married in our first year being where we were at, we were across the state from where I am now. So I live in Florida. I'm in St. Augustine, Florida, and we were over in the Tampa area. Okay. And my wife had come down from upstate New York, gone to college here in St. Augustine where I went to school and she loved St. Augustine. I loved St. Augustine too, but I also liked being where I was. That's where I had essentially gone to high school, even high school, yeah. yeah, It's where I grew up. It's where I knew a lot of people. She was like, I really want to go back to St. Augustine. And over time, um, we kept talking about it. And then we got approached by some friends of hers that are now mine that, asked us, they were like, Hey, we want to start a gym up here. Would you guys come up and be trainers? And I was like, well, I'm not going to leave a place where I have ownership in to go be an employee. Right. Yeah. Just because I'm going to change cities. I'm not going to do that. And so we went back and forth in negotiations for probably a year. And finally I was like, I will come up, I will put this much capital and I want majority ownership. And so ended up doing that. They said, yes, cool. We went up, we started it. Um, and that's kind of, that ultimately is what led me to Alex and Layla and Gym Launch.
1: Gotcha. At this time with the second gym, were you still working? Did you still have like a yeah. side job or? So what, what was that? Like balancing like, uh, like a gym ownership life with like having a side job? And was it essentially to kind of bootstrap the business that you were keeping the job? or? Yeah, man. So
0: when we first moved up to St. Augustine, we were in this weird realm of trying to nail down a location. Uh So we were going back and forth and it ended up, it was supposed to be by the time we moved up, we were supposed to have like actually locked in the location. So literally the week we moved up was supposed to be when we started outfitting the gym, getting everything set and then opening within a month of us moving up. Well, those plans fell through. So I ended up actually just working part-time at a restaurant with my wife and literally just working at a restaurant. I was a, a server and she was a bartender. And so we worked and still some of the best times of our life to this day. Uh, It was amazing. Zero, very low key.
1: That's so uh, cool. Turning kind of like the challenge into like the best times of your life. That's awesome.
0: It was great. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of money, but we had each other and it was a great time for us to spend a lot of time together because we actually didn't spend a ton of time together in our first year of marriage just because I was working so much and I also coached an assistant baseball coach at a local high school. So like there was a lot of time that we didn't spend together. So this gave us a lot of time together, but anyways, moving forward, we started the gym. I actually didn't get a job for the first year and a half of the gym. So it was just the gym. Okay. And just focusing on that. And I quickly realized that I needed to, I did not have the skill set I needed in order to market the gym and to sell. Right? Okay. So we were growing, but not at the pace that we needed to, in order for me to support the family or achieve the goals that I had. Um, personally, as well as for our family, even
1: with your background, like, cause at the time you were like a consultant helping other companies with their marketing and stuff, right? Even with that background. No, I actually hadn't. That actually was not till later. That was later. Okay.
0: So I was just helping with behavior stuff. And then what happened is about a year and a half, I think it was a year and a half in I just went to my wife and I was like, I'm not, this isn't going to cut it. Like, I don't know how long we can keep doing this. And okay. she was still working. We had a a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter at the time. Um, I was like, this is – I need to put food on the table. Yeah, Like something needs to happen. And there was an opportunity with a gym gym goer, um, a member of my gym who owned a marketing agency and a branding and marketing agency. And he was like, I'm looking for a salesperson. Do you want to come on and work? And I was like, yep, I want to do it. So I started that. I started working full-time for him, coaching in the mornings, coaching in the evenings and doing sales in the evenings for the gym. But during the middle of the day, I was working with them, with their company. Did, did you have any um, employees
1: had, or was it just you?
0: I had one assistant coach. That's it. Okay. So it was just me, one assistant coach who would cover some classes that during the week that I didn't, wasn't able to, or just to give me a break. And so really bootstrapping it across the board. Um, and yeah, that was an interesting time. I do remember there's a lesson to be learned and I learned this in college The best grades I ever got was when I was the busiest, when I had the biggest, the most like packed class schedule and in season for baseball, where you can't take classes off. You're taking six or seven classes in the semester and you have, you're traveling for baseball, you're playing, you're practicing every day. Like that's when I got the best grades. And I remember that. And I was like, okay, for my mind, the way it works, the busier I am, I'll manage my time better. Yeah. So what happened, we did this and I did really well with his business, set records and sales in my first year with them and our gym. And I was learning a lot more. And that's when I got connected. We we're still not where I wanted to be with the gym. And just, it was probably a month, maybe two months after I joined this company that I found out, found out about Gym Launch. And I was like, I wanna do this.
1: How do you find out about it? Was it through like an ad or? It was just ads. I, uh, I ran across some ads and they had
0: just kicked it off. This was April of
1: 2017.
0: Okay. And so no. I saw some ads and I was like, huh. This will be worth a chat. I want to talk about this. What what Um, was the pitch at the time? Fill your gym in 30 days. And so that was it. And I was like really intrigued because I'd also heard about him through someone else. I'd actually gone online for online training and I was actually making the same, if not more money from my online training piece as my in gym. Oh, wow. Right. But the problem was, right. I had a three-year lease. So like... I'm like, okay, I could do this, but then I got to cut my lease and I've got all my gym members who are now my friends. Like this is tough. I need to just focus on one thing. I say that now while I'm also having another job at the time. Yeah. But so I had this conversation with Alex and Alex Ramosi, for those of you that if you're listening, uh, owns Gym Launch. He's the CEO of Gym Launch and had a conversation with him. He sold me on it and we got started late April. I think it was like April 27th or April 28th.
1: Was this when he was still doing the done for you service where he was coming in and doing the sales for you? Or was this uh, already like the gym launch, like, like a cheat cheating, like media type of company?
0: Yeah, we call it like gym launch 2.0. 2.0, so yeah. The original, Yeah, the original gym launch when he did the done for you fly out, he had just cut that off actually. So in March of 2017 is when he switched the model. And I think I was number 14 or 17 that signed up on the new model. Wow. Um, where he taught us how to do it. And he, he was like, I'm
1: going to teach you how to fish. And
0: I was like, let's do it. That sounds great.
1: So, how'd that work out? Did, uh, did you guys fill out the gym in 30 days? Or? We killed it, man.
0: So, we went from, um, I had put almost zero time into the gym for at least six months. Um, I was just maintaining and I was like, I looked at my wife before we signed up for gym launch and I was like, we're going to probably close in eight weeks. I was like, we're probably just, this is probably what's going to happen. Signed up for gym launch and we tripled our gym in 10 days. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's how um, you know you have like a, like a a good formula, like for a product. (laughs) It's like results. Without a doubt. doubt. Yeah. And I remember
0: going, telling my wife, I was like, I want to do this just so that we can put the systems in place and grow the gym to where I can sell it.
1: Mhm.
0: So I want to sell it. And so
1: was it at that he was, point where you like burnt out from the gym thing where you're like, yeah. like wanted to move on to the next thing? Yeah. What, what was like, yeah. what was taxing your body? Cause like once, once the money started pouring in, you could have like, like stayed in it, like expanded it. But what was, I guess, where were you like, I want out versus like, like I want to grow this thing to like, like grow like six gyms or something like that. Yeah. So it, it comes down to, for me personally, it comes down to an impact. Mm hmm. And I realized
0: that I could impact my community, which is cool on a singular, like one-to-one basis with my, with my members, or I got a taste of the B2B side, or I could go out and impact business owners who would then impact their members or their customers. And so I was like, I can reach more people if I go and help business owners rather than just me focusing in my community. That's my thought process behind it. Now, other people's is different. They're like, I want to focus on my community and help as many people as possible. For me, it was more so of how can I reach and impact more people?
1: That makes a lot of sense. Like you started working at gym launch while you were still working on the business, right? Okay. Like did Alex recruit you or were you like, did you ask for a job or did you apply for a job? What, what was that process like?
0: It's hilarious actually. So I'd been in the business, I'd been a client of gym launch for a year Uh and we'd gotten to the point where I was out of the gym completely. So backstory real quick, we tripled our gym in the first uh, month, really 10 days. We actually tripled it in 10 days, but from there that was May into June of 2017 and we went from roughly 34 members when we signed up. So we had nothing. Again, I was doing nothing in the gym. We only had 34 members. 33, 34 members. We went from there to, I think, 260 in about five months. Jesus. And so we went from that, built an entire team, everything. And like, we reverse engineered our goals in August. And we had this timeline of like, we need to be out of the gym, not doing anything in it, having a full team operating it and being able to grow without us touching it in roughly five months. Be- because my wife was pregnant with our second kid.
1: Oh, wow. Before you move on to the gym launch stuff, what was the magic formula of like, for you to, to get those results?
0: Setting lag measures and then setting lead measures, right? And we do this in our business now, but the lag measure is cool. What's the ultimate goal that I need to get to? Mm-hmm. Right? What is the one, like, what is the thing I need to achieve? Whether for many businesses, right, it's a revenue goal or it's a profit goal or a margin or number, what is that number one thing? But the problem is, is most people set goals and they're like, cool, we're gonna go. But really where success happens, and this is what we learned early on, was you need to reverse engineer every behavior that needs to happen. And you need to go ahead and set little buffers there for failures that happen. Mm -hmm. And you got to understand. So like when I'm thinking about it, we were like, okay, we looked at the numbers of our margins. We looked at where we were at currently. We took the numbers that we had and we averaged it out. And then we took those numbers then we looked at what needs to happen in order for us to be able to step away from the business, which means how many members did we need? How much money did we need to be bringing in? Which then turned into also how many coaches do we need to fulfill on those, right? Which also now the next step is in each piece of those is like, cool, if I need this many members, what's our conversion rate of sales, which means I need this many appointments, which then backends to how many schedules do I need to like, how many opt-ins do I need? How many leads do I need? How much, which also backends to how much should I spend every day on Facebook ads or Instagram ads to get that across the board? with a buffer of cool, I know that my campaigns are going to be more expensive over time. So I'm going to buffer that a little bit and expect to spend a little bit more than what I am now. And then on the flip side, right, if I'm building a team, I know I'm going to need X amount of coaches. I know that I'm probably going to cut 50% of the people that I hire because they're just not going to cut it and they're not going to make it. Mm. And so knowing that I'm going to probably have to double my hires and then weed them out, right, to keep my eagles. And so We've just literally reverse engineered every step, every step of the way. From like How many interviews we needed to have, how many applications we awesome. needed. You're basically so,
1: building the machine of the business like one or two years out. And like every correct. single input and output that like are part of the machine. It makes me think of the exactly. book E-Myth Revisited. Yes. It talks a lot about that. When you sold it, what did the business look like? And, and uh, what did that, what did the sale look like? Yeah, the sale was interesting. We went back and forth. We had one buyer who fell through
0: at like at the last minute and then we ended up selling it to one of our trainers. Oh, wow. Um, It wasn't what we wanted it to be, but it was what it needed to be at the time. But the business was set, like all the systems were in place. Everything was good. We so we started the gym in 2015 and we sold it in March of 2019. So two and a half years ago we sold it. Our true growth growth was from 2017 until 2019 when we sold it, and then now it's I think it's maintaining. I'm not sure how it's doing, but the sale process was very interesting. It was very it was a huge learning experience for us because it's the first time I'd gone through the sale of a business. Yeah. Um. So I got to learn the process of LOIs, the process of due diligence, the process of really making sure our numbers were intact. Understanding also that stuff falls through, buyers fall through. There's lots of things that go back and forth. And so managing expectations, managing the team, managing what was going on was really a great learning experience across the board.
1: And how many employees did you have when you sold that? And like how many many customers?
0: By the time we sold it, because we'd already been out of the business, we'd actually moved. We were out of the business for about four months prior. I think we were at 225, 226, how many members they had. We were doing roughly about six to 650 a year. So six hundred to 650000 a year with, I think like we were at like all said and done after our pay yeah. and everything else for yeah. the owner side. I think the gym, the gym business profit was in the 20 to 25% after pay and everything. Nice. So we were fairly profitable for a brick and mortar facility for where we were at. So it was good. It was awesome. But yeah, it was just an incredible experience going through that.
1: Yeah. I can imagine going through the sale and stuff like you probably learned so much just like as a, as a business owner. I cut you off before, uh apologize, but you were about to, to 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 tell me how you got recruited or how you ended up at yeah. gym lunch. Yeah.
0: I didn't get recruited, yeah. I actually sold them <laughs> all. April of twenty seventeen, I had or twenty eighteen, so I was a year into working at my other job, the marketing agency, but Alex and Layla posted made a post on Facebook saying that they were hiring for salespeople. And I was like, Well, I sell and I was like, I know this, I'm a client. I I would love to help other gym owners. And so I reached out to him, I messaged him and I was like, Hey, uh, send me your deck, your sales deck that you use. And I'll just start selling people for free for you. I was like, I'll just start selling. Them. You don't have to pay me. I'll just start selling them. And he was like, do you really want to do it? And I was like, yeah. He was like, well, I'm looking for someone full-time. And I was like, well, I have a full-time job. And he's like, well, do you want to make more money? And I was like, well, <laughs> I don't know how much does it pay. And he was like, well, it pays this X. And I was like, all right, sweet. So I was like, okay. And I went through the interview process and then I put in my two weeks at my previous job and joined and then started, I think in May, either end of April or early May of 2018 with Gym Launch. And so I started ground core. I was doing internal sales where we have two programs at Gym Launch. We have a front end program, our flagship program, which is called Launch. And then we have a back-end program, which is our really our core product, which is called Legacy, or Inner Circle as it is now. And that's where, that's like a year-long program. And so my job when I officially signed on was to upsell and ascend our members into
1: Legacy. I see. So like once people have launched their gym and like have filled their gym in 30 days, then the Legacy is like like the expansion from there. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. Yeah, it seems like you were like, you're probably like the perfect hire for that position because right? you had sales background you had gone through it and so like selling selling the product as a previous gym owner is probably like way easier than if you're not you know just like the the trust you gain from the customer is like hey i did it i i was a struggling gym owner like you and i i transformed my gym and sold it <laughs> like it's pretty appealing right you know what's funny
0: is i thought that same thing and every single person thinks the same thing but it's actually a crutch and it's actually it? hurts sales more than anything. The industry knowledge is very beneficial, but nobody cares about my story. Huh? So in a sales position, they're like, how is this going to help me? And me coming across telling my story, I quickly found out in the first two things, it actually hurts the sale rather than helping the sale because they're like, cool, that's you, but you're different. See, you're the exception to the rule. I'm not you. And so it's much more, I, I had to expand my sales skill set to not include me and not to use myself as a, as a crutch and my story that way. And this is what we teach a lot of our sales guys. A lot of our sales guys are actually former clients as well. And that's something that they struggle with too. They come in thinking, cool, I'll just share my story. It'll be super easy. And then they realize, oh shoot, like they actually don't care about anything.
1: Interesting. so, and so it's probably works better just to show like, Hey, this has been done over and over and over like we we have like four thousand gyms that we've helped do this yeah
0: that's where the testimonials come into play because then it's like it's not just me here's a thousand other gyms that have been successful with this yeah like don't believe me believe
1: them yeah gotcha we talked a lot about what gym Launch does but like what what's the concise pitch of like what what does gym Launch does right now it's what's the core value prop i know you guys have like a tagline or
0: yeah we create million dollar gyms so if you're gonna bring it down to the smallest like thing, we create million dollar gyms. And so we do that through three things. We get more customers through the door. We teach gym owners how to get more customers through the door. We teach them how to make more per customer and we teach them how to keep them longer. Okay. That's it. And so our, our entire thing is teaching gym owners how to fish yeah. rather than them having to rely on other agencies or other entities because no one else is gonna care more about their business and the welfare of their own business than them.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by by info businesses. Just that, like the fact that that you can take like basically your knowledge, right? Of like, hey, Alex, the founder, like he he was a previous gym owner, right? He figured out through a lot of trial and error and mistakes, like how to, how to basically grow his gym into like a like a million dollar gym, right? And then you take that mm-hmm. knowledge, you package it, and you can like. Infinitely, like sell that to a lot of people, you know, with with uh, very low like marginal costs. Can you t- talk about the growth that like this type of business can have? Like, you guys had that crazy growth, like like around the time you joined, right?
0: Yeah, it's nuts. So, before I came on as an employee, they started with nothing, actually negative dollars in their account. I think they maybe started, maybe that's not negative. I think maybe a thousand dollars left in their account at one point in like late twenty sixteen, and then they started this. And they went from nothing to, I think 10 million dollars in the first uh, since they started in March, so the first nine months, right? They did I think 10 million, and then they moved to I think we did 20 something million, 26, 28 million in 2018, that was like our biggest year. 2019, I think we did like 22 million. But overall, Alex with his across his companies has done over I think he's at 112 million now. Um, in roughly four and a half, five years.
1: And those are all info businesses, right? One was a
0: SaaS company and that was like a very short amount of time, but most, and then one's a supplement company. So they're not, one is actually, truly only one is info.
1: Gotcha. And then gym launch today is around 30 million, right? No, so we're actually, COVID was a big hit. So we actually took probably, we took
0: about a 50 50, 40 to 50% hit oh, wow. from where we were at in 2019. That makes sense, yeah, actually. Which is, it goes along with the numbers yeah. for gyms across the board. We saw roughly 40% of gyms shut down across the board, so.
1: Did you guys try to pivot at all? Like helping digital fitness creators or were you just like, hey, COVID is gonna pass like eventually, so we're just gonna rough it up? Yeah, so one of our core tenants is Grow or Die and
0: we are not the type of company to ever sit back. Just be like, ah, you know, we'll just deal with it as it comes or we hope it passes. In 2019, pre-COVID, so in June of 2019, we released a new product to the entire industry. And we got a lot of backlash from it because when we released it, it was called Hybrid, which basically all Hybrid was is training people in gym and online. Like, you can do both. Uh So we taught gym owners how to go online in 2019. And we used advertising that was saying, like, death of group training and group training is dead. And like, you need to go online because we saw the writing on the wall. We didn't think it was going to happen this fast. Right. But we saw what was happening across the board. Fitness was becoming a commodity in gym. Profit margins were sinking more and more. There was a big race to the bottom when it came to pricing because bigger box facilities were coming on and offering the same services for a much cheaper price. Mm -hmm. And so they were. They were pushing out a lot of smaller gyms, mom and pop gyms, or um, group fitness facilities, Crossfits, things like that. And so we saw that happening, and we pivoted to hybrid in 2019, where we were teaching gyms how to do both in person and online. They were seeing massive growth, tons of potential, and even up to February of 2020, like we were crushing it. I mean, gyms were killing it. We were getting lower lead costs than we had since 2018. It was all right there. We were seeing a resurgence in the gym industry, period, across the board. And then March 2020 hits, and then everything shuts down. And so at that point, in the matter of a weekend, I remember sitting up. It was March, and I, I was talking. I think it was like a Wednesday or a Monday with Alex and our executive team. We were talking about, it and we were like, "All right, we need to pivot." And that weekend, we made an entirely new course, all online. And we pivoted in a weekend and then started advertising it over the weekend into Monday. And we started selling more of that, which was just what we called remote gym, how to take your gym fully online. It was just a condensed version of it. So we sold that. And then we came out with new, another opportunity a couple months later, a new offer where we were running ads for people and using uh, the SaaS company that Alex owned to kind of connect these pieces to create a pay for performance agency. And so we grew that piece. And then we, as things started to settle down, we actually switched back into the coaching model because we found margins were a little bit better. We found our gym owners seeing a ton of success through that. And so then we transitioned back as things began to stabilize. So there's a lot of twists and turns along the way, but we're always ready to pivot on a dime.
1: That's awesome. Because in a sense, like the, the challenge becomes like a huge opportunity for you guys too, right? Because like all the gym owners are struggling and their business is like at a risk of like going out of business, right? And so it's like you are giving them the tools to avoid that in a way with with the new Correct. product, yeah. That's very cool, man. Correct. Did you guys have to fire anyone during COVID or like, did the team have uh, shrink at all or?
0: No, during COVID, we actually kept pretty much everyone. We actually had a big, we saw a little bit of the writing on the wall, not for COVID, but we saw a little bit of the industry writing on the wall in actually late 2019. Mm-hmm. And so we had a layoff in 2019. We were simply overstaffed yeah. for what we needed. We were not lean or efficient, um, and so we did a layoff in late 2019. I think it was like November or December, and then that actually worked worked out well. Hindsight, right? Yeah. It worked <laughs> out really well, 2020. And so we didn't actually have to let anybody, I don't know, maybe one or two people yeah. that we had to, but we were able to keep our margins and maintain even during a time when people were, were obviously shutting down or struggling.
1: And how, how many employees do you guys have right now?
0: Right now, I think we're at roughly 55, 56 okay. employees across across two companies. So we have Prestige Labs, our supplement company, and then Gym Launch. So they're kind of both under the umbrella of Gym Launch Secret.
1: Okay, cool. And now getting into your role, mm-hmm. so you're the general manager there, right? Yeah. What does that mean? What does the general manager at Gym Launch do?
0: I essentially am Alex before he moved up out of the biz. I manage and am responsible for the revenue and the overall growth of Gym Launch itself. And so um, my job is to handle the marketing aspects of it. So I work closely with our marketing team. I write a lot of the copy that we use. I orchestrate or am in a lot of our advertising. I work closely with Alex in new plays or new offers. We just came out with a new offer that I came up with and presented to the team. So like Alex and I worked very closely on fine-tuning that offer to make it Something that is killing it, which it is right now in the marketplace, and I work closely with obviously the rest of our teams and departments to make sure that the experience is phenomenal for our clients, um, that our team members feel like they have full support and they're able to accomplish what they need to on a daily and weekly basis, and really just make sure that we're growing. So, kind of a, I guess the head of Gym Launch in a sense, as Alex and Layla have done a phenomenal job of supporting us and being able to kind of step up and out of the business a little bit, they have become much more of an advisor rather than like just sitting there on a daily basis, kind of managing the team.
1: Is it very similar to like a CEO type role? Yes. Yeah.
0: The closer thing I would say would be probably VP of like VP of sales and marketing, because that's kind of where the most of my focus would be. Mm-hmm. That would be a kind of a, a similar role. I would say your VP of growth, that's kind of closer because I head up the marketing Division and the marketing division, so or sales and marketing. So I kind of manage those closer than the rest of it. Product is another piece that I I manage as well. So the new plays and the new offerings and the new coaching and things, I help develop those and run beta tests with our clients and run focus groups. So I kind of have my hand in a lot of different things.
1: Very cool. It's surprising to hear that uh, even at your level, you're still involved like with the with the copy. Yeah. Uh, can you can you talk about that? Is it is it because you're you're very good at it? Is it because, you know, the product, like intricately, like the product and customers like intricately, like why, why, why do you still touch copy?
0: So when we think about it, what are the the levers that you can pull in the business that'll have the biggest impact? And I would not say I'm good at it. In fact, I hate writing copy. Mm -hmm. I strongly dislike it. It takes me a while to get warmed up and do it. I wouldn't say that I'm good by any means at all, but I would say that I'm better than others because I understand the business, I also understand the copy that Alex has used in the past, and I understand the copy that works, and I just repeat successful actions. The time and investment it would take to bring someone on to learn copy, and we've tried it multiple times, and many of them have done really, really well, but right now and where we're at as a business, I can sit down and I can write copy for two hours. That will last us for two months. You're so, building an in a
1: NASA in a sense, right? It it. And so, like, it doesn't make
0: sense to have a full-time copywriter because we just don't have the we don't have the workload needed for that. I can spend two hours and cover us for a while. Interesting, and be good to go.
1: So, if you hired a copywriter, you basically they wouldn't be busy enough.
0: No, huh. no, it'd be a waste of time and time and money on our side. When the greatest impact for the biz would be for me to just go ahead and write the copy because it's easier for me to do it. Uh-huh frankly, in two hours. And usually, right, everyone's like, hey, you should scale and not do it and not be in the weeds. I understand that. And we would love to do that. That would be amazing. But we always make decisions on what's best for the business. Yeah. And what's best for the business is for me to still be there writing copy, overseeing all these pieces until at some point we do find someone that can and can take it over.
1: What, what, what does a typical day look like? And the other one is like, if you had a pie chart of your time, how would you divide that?
0: Uh, I typically wake up at four and I go, I typically work out in the morning from like, on average, this is a typical day, 4.30 to usually 5.30 back. Um, And then I typically dive into self-learning or some sort of reading. I'm a Christian, so I typically am reading my Bible, doing something in the morning, praying, um, or doing something like that, or reading a new book to help me improve my skill set. It's typically somewhere around human behavior, influence, sales, or marketing. That's typically where most of my time is spent. And I do that. I have two kids. So when they wake up my day is any work is shot at that point. So usually by about 645 to when I drop them off at school at like eight or 815, it's typically just focused on them getting ready for the day. Come back day usually starts like work wise around nine and it's either meetings. Most of my day is now spent with meetings and really just a good way to look at it is And the way I remind myself is I'm kind of the CRO. I'm the chief reminding officer. So it's my job to mm. get in and to remind our team of our vision of who we are, our core tenants, what we believe in, and our vision of where we're trying to go. And to make sure that. that we as a team are constantly understanding who we are, who we serve, why we do it, right? And all That's th- so
1: important for, for culture, right? And just like maintaining that core values of the company.
0: It is. It is. And it's not easy and I'm not perfect by any means. It's one of those things that I'm actually really trying to work on and to become better at that because Alex and Layla filled that seat, right? And that's a massive vacuum, right? They're incredible. Uh Like their their personalities are fantastic. They have a high level of influence and they've worked really hard at it. For them, it didn't come naturally. Alex, I would say it came naturally, but like Layla, it did not. She worked on it and they both have become an unstoppable duo, right? Uh And you have that stepping out of a business it's big shoes to fill
1: like it seems like the internal marketing right of like yeah, like like selling your own employee on on the company
0: always just reminding them of who we are and why we do what we do so that they feel empowered and they feel ready to accomplish their goals and to attack it and then the other piece most of my time really is just spent diving into sales numbers so sales stats really diving into what's our conversion metrics look like and then sales and marketing that's primarily most of my time, and that's usually the day. So I'll typically have meetings throughout the day. If I don't have meetings, I'm typically planning or writing new things. So I'm either recording videos, recording podcasts or content, recording ads, writing copy, or working closely with our marketing team or sales team to make sure that we're moving in the right direction.
1: That's very cool.
0: Pie chart, if you're gonna look at pie chart, I would say 50% of my time now is spent on marketing that has changed the shifts depending on the season. So 50% of my time is on marketing. 30% of my time is on sales. And then I usually do about 10% of time on product now. Cause I, we have a product uh, specialist that works now before it was me where I would create all the products. And then the other 10% is really working closely with Maggie on some back end admin support things. Um, I'm very fortunate to have an amazing wife who is brilliant and much smarter than me and is an incredible operator. And so a lot of the things she does allows, frees up time for me to be able to focus on the revenue driving things.
1: Nice. How is that working in the same company as your as your wife? It's great. You I like, actually, you like I it? I
0: it. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm in my room. She's in her room. We get to work together. Most of our conversations are about that, but we also, we have a phenomenal relationship, an exceptional relationship. For most people, I don't know if it would work, but for us, it's, it's perfect.
1: And I, I want to I dive into that more in the, the family stuff, just in a little bit. Yeah. Um, 50% of your time is spent on marketing. I guess, what, what does the funnel look like for you guys right now? Where are you guys getting the most results from your marketing? And like, how, how is that broken down?
0: Yep. So there's kind of two aspects
1: to marketing. One is obviously
0: paid advertising. And then the other piece is actual outbound. So we have an outbound team. So we have two ways and there's a story for this, I guess I'll go ahead and walk through if that's cool with you. For about three years, we only did marketing on Facebook and Instagram, like that is it. We tested, we dabbled in YouTube, we dabbled in a couple other smaller platforms like Snapchat and stuff like that, but primarily we spent a ton of money on Facebook and Instagram. In 2019, when Facebook had its first glitch, I think it was 2019, um, where we kind of had that first hit where ad spend went through the roof, CPMs went through the roof, and it kind of started changing. We realized that something's got to give, right? We were like, all right, we knew the writing was on the wall, but we didn't start making the changes until later on in 2020. So I became the GM in early 2020 and we started working through it and we realized roughly midway through 2020, it was like, all right, we need another channel. We have paid advertising, but we need another channel. And so what we did was Alex looked at me and was like, hey, we need to build an outbound channel, go build it. And so I went, I owned the process. We hired someone to come in and help us um, build a BDR team, a cold calling team. We, I learned everything about how to scrape data, how to pull data, um, how to clean it, enrich it, get it all through, how to train the BDR teams. Uh, thankfully, we have a phenomenal manager that does all that. And he was really a catalyst for us to help us. And we spent roughly six months to eight months really building an outbound channel without seeing massive results and so just over the past really four months we've seen incredible results from our outbound channel but it takes time to build and so that's one channel that i spend a lot of my time on because there's a lot of points involved with that right you've got cold callers you've got setters you've got closers you've got scripts you've got data that you have to look through and so we're tracking a lot of that so that's a lot of when i say marketing that's a piece of what i do as well but then when we talk about paid advertising, we spend primarily still most of our money on Facebook, Instagram, and then Google. And so those are primarily where we're at. We'll dabble in, we're starting to dabble in TikTok. We're starting to, oh. yeah, we've tried YouTube multiple times. We just can't get the targeting down to what we need. Um, it could just be because of the gym owners, not as many there. It's not as, as broad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so most of our stuff is is there. So we spend predominantly all of our money on Facebook and Instagram, about
1: 90%. Wow. Ninety percent. And is that like aligned with the results? Like ninety percent of the results come from Facebook and Instagram, you'd say? Yeah, wow, sure. that's crazy. So you guys still are pretty I mean, reliant on that.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean yeah. we spend a lot of money on that. And it's yeah. it's still underpriced
1: eyeballs. It works. It still yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it still works.
1: And just for, um, for the people that, don't, that aren't uh, familiar with the sales lingo, basically for the outbound team, what you're, ta- what you're talking about is like building a sales team, uh, getting data from internet, like a bunch of gyms pretty much, right? Great, like Prioritizing the, the best leads, right? And then basically just reaching out with a script and mm-hmm. pitching, pitching you guys a product, right? Very Correct. manual process.
0: Very manual. It's all manual, but it's way more predictable. Mm-hmm. Like I can tell you right now how many outbound sales we're going to have at any given week or month based on our pipeline.
1: Which interesting. is interesting.
0: But then Facebook fluctuates, right? Zuckerberg could wake up one day and just be like, eh, I'm not feeling it. And then we just shut down, right? So Facebook yeah. had those outages. Like, you never know what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, you guys just had your strategy meeting, right? The next 12 months, how do you see the marketing evolving?
0: I think we're still going to continue to see uh, a lot of a roller coaster ride for paid advertising, especially on Facebook and Instagram. There's a lot of things coming down the pipeline that, most likely going to hit a lot of regulations that are going to hit it's only going to make it harder for marketers marketers we screw it up we screw up every platform that's out there because we're marketers and we're trying to find ways to be able to make money off of it yeah but i think there's a lot of opportunities across the board i still think facebook and instagram right now is still underpriced but how it's advertised on on facebook and instagram and the in the way to get people will continue to evolve pictures don't work anymore if you're advertising with pictures you're screwed stop stop doing it it's it's going to just, we are just wasting money. Everything has to be video. Everything has to be short, typically, 15 to 30 seconds. TikTok, I think, is a phenomenal place for many people to go because that's where a lot of people go to just scroll and they go to consume. And so when people are there to consume, you have an awesome opportunity to be able to capture people's attention and potentially convert them.
1: Have you found that the gym owners are consuming on TikTok?
0: They're consuming, yes. We have yet to run a full test that will allow us to understand exactly what we're working with on there. So when we do, I'm super excited. We're doing that probably in the next four weeks. Really going to throw some money behind it and actually see. But gym owners are definitely on there consuming. They may not be producing, but they're yeah. definitely on there consuming, which is great. And it's one of those where people are on and they may not be posting, but they are definitely consuming because it's the most entertaining app there out there.
1: Yeah. Like you, you telling me that gym owners are on there is surprising to me. TikTok will keep surprising me. Like I think like one year ago, we all thought it was just for kids, you know? The
0: lockdowns across the board internationally and here in America, with people having more time to spend, I think that helped accelerate TikTok a ton, and accelerated across multiple demographics rather than just being something that kids go on and use. Because yeah, it got that rap, yeah. And then once that happened, more people were like, "Oh, this is really fun. I can make some really cool
1: stuff." Plus, the the reach on there is great. Like, if I really want to blow up the podcast, like I should go all in on TikTok. You can. Suggest that. Yeah, you can reach like the right audience and for some reason, like you're able to find the right con- consumer of your content, even if you have like a very niche subject, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I want to go back quickly about the career, something we skipped. Um, how do you go from uh, entry-level sales person at gym launch to becoming the GM? Like what, what was that uh, path like? Sales, I came
0: in uh, internal sales, then I switched to kind of doing both um, external front-end sales and inside sales. So within a couple, I would say about a month of coming in, um, they saw that I could actually sell Mm -hmm. and then I kind of, I, maybe it was two months and then I started doing both. And then for some reason, I still don't know to this day, the sales manager at the time was like, Hey, I need, I'm moving to sales director. I really think that you're a great leader. I think you would be a great sales manager and I want you to be a sales manager. So they promoted me to sales manager. Truth be told, I was a horrible sales manager. Like, looking back at what I know now, I was horrible.
1: Why why do you say that? I didn't
0: didn't provide my team with the resources that they needed to. I didn't provide the best coaching. I wasn't – in my head, I was thinking more of, like, I need to make it easier from a tech stack. I need to make it easier from this piece. But really what I needed to be doing was way more coaching, right? Mm. Way more coaching. So that's a lesson learned and that – I make sure my the sales managers today all coach. Like they spend most of their time listening to recordings, coaching and doing that because that has the biggest impact on sales across the board. Not just improving their processes and their workflows and their tech stacks and things like that. Those all have a piece in it, but at the end of the day, salespeople need conviction, they need coaching and they need to constantly be reminded of things. Right. Just it's like funny. Else, but. So
1: you, you came in with like the very rational angle of like, Hey, let's streamline this. And like a lot of what was needed is kind of like the more emotional, like, Hey, like, like, like rallying the troops. And
0: yes. Cause that's in my head. Cause I'm not, I'm not an emotional person whatsoever. In fact, I get, I got dubbed the, uh, the robot, the machine, they call me the machine. <laughs> Cause I just, I'm just like, all right, let's do it Here are the numbers. I don't look at numbers as good or bad. They just are what they are. So that yeah. is what it is. Like, we just go for it. So, we just keep moving ahead. And so, that is not a great makeup for a sales manager, to be clear. They need to be much more empathetic, more coachable, things like that. And so, I learned that quickly, but I moved from sales manager to cross kind of department into coaching manager. Um, Because at the time, even through while I was selling, because I had my experience as a gym owner and my experience in gym launch, I was still doing um, coaching calls for our clients. And so, they were like, hey, we think we want to build out this coaching team to help our clients. We want you to manage that team. So I went in and built a team of about 30 coaches, built the processes out for them, um, worked on helping them become better coaches. And I took what I learned from being a poor sales manager and started implementing that to make sure and improve that process to where I was actually coaching them, listening to their calls, providing feedback and stuff. We built a really cool team of coaches, but the practice was cool, but the theory and the practicality of having a 30 person coaching team was not right. It wasn't the right move for the business. We found that, um, even though we were providing one-on-one coaching for clients, they didn't actually value it to the degree that we thought that they would. And so we, that was part of our cuts at the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, we cut our coaching team. We went down to a very much leaner model and we no longer do one-on-one coaching at all. It's all small group or large group. Okay. Um, and so I went from Coaching manager to, I made it through the cuts. <laughs> if you <laughs> talk about our cuts and our layoffs that we've had, I made it through. And in January, I believe January or February of 2020, um, moved into the general manager role um, and started overseeing that.
1: And why Why do you think you were picked for that? Did Alex pick you? Alex Hermosi pick you directly? or Yeah,
0: Alex and Leila did. They make all those those higher level decisions on that side. Part of me is like I was the last man standing. <laughs> so, sorry. I was the last But there's a reason for that, right? I'm not, uh, I very rarely talk about myself. I don't, I actually find it very uncomfortable to talk about my skill sets, but people would say that I'm a good leader, right? And I understand the business and I understand truly what's best for our clients. And so at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I may not be the best marketer or the best sales coach or any of those, but I do know how to lead people. Um, I do know how to communicate. I do know how to inspire people. I have a a decent balance between being able to inspire people, but also understanding and not being too emotional and looking at the numbers and doing what's best for the business. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that when we make decisions, we make decisions based on what's best for the business above all. And those need to be data driven. And I enjoy both sides. I enjoy both the human and the data side of it. And so I have a good balance there. Um, I think if you asked different people inside the company, they'd tell you different reasons.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So you you were saying you you weren't an empathetic leader at first. You came in kind of like very robotic. It's still,
0: it's still something. It yeah. very, it's still something that I'm working on to this
1: day. But but I was scrolling through the the gym launch Instagram. It seems like you guys have like a Jedi award. It seems like a leadership type award, right? And just seeing all the feedback that that your team had about you and about like how how good of a coach and how much you invested in them. And it seems like you've 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 come a long way, right? And so. I'm curious how you consciously worked on that. How did you improve your leadership skills?
0: I think we all are our worst critic.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: for me, in my life, I've always never, I've never been satisfied ever. I always know that there's more, which is a, a good thing and a bad thing, right? I talk to my wife. My wife is phenomenal at being able to be present, right? Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm, it's very hard for me to be present because I'm always thinking about I could always do more, I could always be better, yeah. and that's the way I've been since I was a really young kid. I can't remember the last time I was always like, "Yes, I made it." Right? I've always been have this mentality of, you know, you could be cut at any time, mm-hmm. and um, I have a story and when I was cut about that. But that mentality kind of drives me, and so when I see deficits, I'm like, in my own skill set, I want to fix those. And so, typically every quarter. It used to be every quarter, I would put focus on a specific area that was a deficit for me. And I would spend my time either reading, listening to podcasts, or watching videos about how I can improve that deficit. And so I would do it at a quarter at a time. And then I realized quickly that every quarter, that's actually too short of a time. You can change in an instant. But for me, I realized that every quarter, I was stacking skill sets really fast. But I was also sometimes forgetting what got me there. Uh Right? And forgetting getting the baseline foundational pieces. And I found that I needed to slow that down. And so now what I typically do is I actually break it down into either year-long commitments to myself or every six months. Okay. So it's either biannual or annual commitments. And so...
1: Can you break that specifically when... So let, let's say from 2019 to 2020, what did that look like for to improve specifically like the leadership and empathy stuff? So- what did that review look like? And then what did the process you implement and the thing you commit... Uh, what was the thing you committed to? For sure. So in 2019,
0: I realized my biggest deficit looking back on 2018 was that I did not spend more time actually doing the boring work that needs to happen in order to make my team successful. And what I mean by the boring work would be listening to sales calls and providing feedback on those sales calls. Like I would listen to one or two, but like to be really, really good, I mean, one or two a week, I mean like to be really good, you need to be in there constantly. Like, I mean, every day listening to sales calls, providing feedback to your team in a timely manner, showing them, like when we talk about leading sales teams, like you need to be improving conviction every day. You need to be talking about how awesome our clients are doing. You need to be talking about how amazing they are. You need to be talking about um, objection overcomes when something comes up. You need to be prepared right away to instill in your team massive conviction, not only around our product and our service, but also around their ability to close people. And it's much more about belief breaking than anything else. So 2019 was really a focus on doing that, doing the boring work. So it was much more of like, hey, we need to do that. 2020 was strategic for me because I was highly tactical in 2019. I was head down, focused very much on, I want to be very tactical here and work tactically with my team members. How can I make you better? How can I improve your sales skills or how can I improve your coaching skills and your ability to influence people? 2020 was all about strategy. And so how can I become better at defining and making better decisions strategically for the company? And so Uh being in the general manager role, now working closely with Alex and Layla and the rest of our amazing executive team, we are now making decisions, right? And I'm part of that decision-making team that is going to be making these decisions that could affect tons of families, right? That work Uh for us, not just our clients, but like I look at all of the individuals that work for us and I'm like, man, these could impact, have a massive impact on their lives Mm -hmm. and their livelihoods, kids and putting food on the table. And this is all going through 2020 when we're seeing the worst era ever in fitness, right? With government lockdowns, mandating people to be shut down. And so 2020 was really all about how do I make better decisions, primarily on the strategic level, right, for the business. And that would be looking at the numbers, like understanding truly how to read data how to read information, the financials, how to truly understand those and make decisions based off of that. So that was 2020. So 2021 is trust but verify. And so for me, trust, what I mean by that is trust but verify would be, I'm going to trust that my team has what they need to do it, but I'm going to verify that they're doing it to the level that they need to do it. hmm and so there's a difference between micromanaging and trusting but verifying. Micromanage is like every day I'm in there like, yeah, you need to do this, you need to do this, why didn't you do this? For me, it's more so I want to give empower my team with what they need and the support that they need to be successful and not be on them every day. But I cannot forget that, right? That's where the CRO comes in. It's also the chief reminding officer of going in and verifying, are we doing it to the standard that we have set for ourselves and what will consistently exceed our customers' expectations?
1: That's yeah. awesome. I love the the yearly goals. Do you set like KPIs towards those? I'm guessing let's say like, oh, I want to work on strategy, right? You kind of have to boil that down a little more of like, is it like, I'm going to read a strategy book every year or it's like every week I'm going to have this process to like reflect on the strategy stuff.
0: Yeah. So it helps a lot in our quarterly meetups. We mm-hmm. do leadership evaluations. Yeah. And so we get evaluations from the team, which helps me a ton. And so they allow me to get feedback, but on the tactical things to get better Whenever I have a focus, I typically am going to turn all of my early morning learning time or walking time or any time I'm consuming content or reading a book into something that is focused around that. And so during strategic stuff, I was learning more about high level business thinking, higher level business, I guess, data, looking at how to, like, here's a perfect example of like, I was learning how to lie with statistics, right? Uh That book. It's a phenomenal yeah. book. I think every person should read it. If you have not read it, you should read it. But things like that, simple things like that, how to learn, how to read numbers, how to understand it, how it impacts decision-making, things like that. So um, a lot of my time gets spent into that. Trust but verify is more so in the human behavior aspect. So I'm learning how to... I'm reading things with uh, Patrick Liancioni, I think is his name. His last name, I can't pronounce his last yeah, name. Yeah,
1: the Five dysfunctions of Teams and stuff like that, yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah, so he has a bunch of other books which are phenomenal. So a lot of those in working on that. Because right now in the position that I'm in is it's much less tactical, even though I have pieces that are tactical like writing copy, mm-hmm. but my job is to actually build up leaders mm-hmm. in our company. It is my job, it is my responsibility to make sure that I'm building leaders in every position and encouraging them and helping them grow. Because it is 100% not about me, it's not about Alex, not about Layla. it's not about my wife, it's not about any of us, it's all about our team. How can we help our team grow? How can we make them better leaders, better human beings? and bring them up while also helping the business make money.
1: So essentially, like you said, this big goal for the year, and that defi- that basically focuses your learning, and then every morning right. you have this one hour block of learning. Quick thing, just like side tangent, I listened to the previous interview you did in that Facebook group, and You mentioned that the sales team at the time when you were the sales manager, you guys had like a ritual together, right? Where it's like you you guys all got up like at 5 or 6 a.m. and then you all went through the same ritual. Can you talk about that quickly? Because that sounds sounds very interesting.
0: We still do it right now. So it's called the world-class sales routine, WCSR is what we call it, Uh world-class sales routine. And it really started with Alex challenging the team is like, do you really want to be a world-class sales team? Uh Do you really want to be it? And it's like, take a step back and think about it before you answer. Do you want to be part of a world-class sales routine? And I mean, when we say world-class, we don't mean just like an idea of, yeah, we're world... No, we're talking, do you want to be the top sales team in the world for info products? And if that answer is yes, there are certain things that need to happen in order for that to be possible. And so he developed over time and through different stuff, we developed... He did a routine, a daily routine that we would do. So every morning when our team wakes up. We have a Slack channel and in that Slack thread or channel, they just say up when they wake up. And so some guys wake up before some guys wake up at, depending on the time zones that they're in, we'll just drop up just to let everyone know that we're up, right? So it's an accountability piece to let everyone know. Then they go through, there's a morning routine that they go through when they wake up to get them prepared for the day. So there's breathing, water, meditation, if they want to meditate, things like that, reading. So things that they do on their own every day. Then as a team, We have an hour blocked between 8 and 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so if you're on the West Coast, it's a lot earlier. It's 5 o'clock in the morning um, on the West Coast. If it's Eastern, then you're good to go. So from 8 to 9, we go through, it's broken up into certain aspects. So the first half or first 20 minutes or so is, is either reading the script or reviewing game tapes. So reviewing calls. And so they're just reviewing calls and they're looking at it or they're reading scripts that we have and saying it out loud. Right. And so they're practicing what they're going to do because as a salesperson, you don't want to be thinking about the next thing that you're going to say, you want to already have it.
1: Uh-huh. And so if
0: you're going to be in the trenches selling, you don't want to be sitting there like looking at notes, trying to be like, okay, I'm going to use that overcome, or I'm going to use say that right there. You want it to be second nature. And so we spend a lot of time drilling that. And this is every day, Monday through Friday. And then the last half is they'll either do objection overcomes together as a group, or they'll go into breakout rooms and they'll go at it against each other in role play. And so for about 20 to 25 minutes, they'll do role play and they'll, we'll go through an objection overcome. If it's maybe something that the team is struggling with, or if one person is struggling with it, or if it's a new one that just came up, we'll go through it, practice it as a team, get better at it, use it at game speed, just like they would be on a call. And it sets the intentions for the day. So they're ready to go. There's small things that we throw in there too. So the first five minutes, they're typically, it's all about conviction, getting them up, getting ready to go. We'll throw in client testimonials. We'll talk about how this client is crushing it. Whoever sold them, whoever sold that person, we're going to give them a shout out for, hey, congratulations on saving their life, saving their gym, helping them reach more people, like great job. And so really, conviction building, going and then getting into it and really just chopping wood as we call it. Just
1: chopping wood. Every day. Sharpening the ax, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, uh, do you find that you weed out a lot of people? I guess no. like, are there people that come in like, hey, like, because I mean, to be world class, it has a certain cost, right? And not everyone is like willing to pay that cost. Do you have like a lot of people that drop out because of that? Like, hey, like, actually, I don't, I don't think I want to be world class. <laughs>
0: yeah. We have the highest attrition rate, the highest churn rate for employees is on our sales team, hands down.
1: What, what does that look like? What was that attrition rate? I think our attrition rate
0: on our sales team alone is over the past year is probably closer to twenty to twenty five percent. Okay. Which isn't as high as you would think. Yeah but it actually might be a little bit higher on our BDR team because we actually churn through our BDRs fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Because most of them have time anyway. But
1: yeah, I would say it might be closer to thirty percent. I mean you probably but, attract but, certain type of individual at in the first place, right? Of like you attract right. like very hungry people with the with the company culture that you guys set. Still, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's super interesting. Do you have any other, um, like, I guess, practices of excellence, like throughout, not just on the sales team, but throughout the company that you think are in- interesting to share?
0: We used to do daily huddles, but we actually stopped that because we found that it was a waste of time okay. uh, for many people. Okay. Really, but we what we found was, is not company-wide huddles, but we actually found that daily huddles work really well because we're all remote. So we don't have an office. We've been remote from day one. Mm-hmm. And so having that in a time when no one was remote, we had to learn quickly how do we interact as a team? How do we stay connected? How do we make sure that we're all on the same page? And now everyone is remote, right? Like no one is, very few companies are still fully brick and mortar unless it's retail. And so a lot of our departments hold daily huddles. So like our marketing department holds a daily huddle every day and they go through kind of a similar process of, you know, what are your intentions for the day? What's the one thing you can do today to move the company forward? right? As long as you do this one thing, we'll be successful. What is that? And then the next day it's a review. Did we get that done? Cool. What's your intention for today as well? Um, sometimes in the marketing huddles, I'll use that example again, cause I'm in the sales and marketing side. We'll review past winners. Why were they winners? What parts of the, was it the creative? Was it the copy? Was it the funnel? Like we'll dissect those pieces so we can become better and increase our skill set there. Most of the departments though, will typically have some sort of huddle and get together and make sure that they're on track. I think the biggest piece is really just making sure that everyone is aligned to the same goals right everyone fully understands the goals that they're going after and trying to achieve and why we're trying to do that because if we can get everyone on the boat pointed in the right direction and everyone rowing in the same direction and everyone at the same time we're going we're going to succeed no matter what and so that's where we review our goals on a weekly basis across the company we do it at a departmental level we look at the behaviors that need to happen like how many calls do we need to make on a daily basis in order to hit that number. How many ads do we need to put out? How much does our ad spend? So it's, it all comes back to kind of like my reverse engineering of how we were going to scale our gym and get out mm-hmm. of it. We do that exact same practice here.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, good, good business practices, right? That's it, it's yeah. basically. <laughs> it's always the basic
0: stuff. Yeah. Alex talks about simple scales, fancy fails. And so that's what we try to embody.
1: What What motivates you? You're, you're investing a lot, probably a lot of time and in- also a lot into the hires, uh, or I mean, I guess the employees, right? Of like, hey, like you're investing in every single individual, Like, like doing the reminder is probably like a tedious job, right? But like very necessary. I guess what drives you to push forward and like to push for that excellence and setting that standard?
0: What it's going to take to become the person that manages and leads a billion dollar company.
1: Okay. Because
0: I may never do that, but it would be thrilling for me to have the skill sets and the ability to do that. And I know right now because I don't manage a billion dollar company that I do not have those skill sets, right? Because if I did, I would be managing a billion dollar company, but I don't. And so the pursuit of those types of skill sets and the acquisition that's needed in order to get there is the thing that pushes me. I may never get there and that's okay, but I'd like to be able to be that type of person that's focused more on skill set. Skill stacking is what we call it. Yeah. And skill stacking can be chunked down into multiple different things, right? You can, you're gonna need multiple skills just to know how to run ads properly, right? You need mm-hmm. to learn how to write copy. That's a skill in and of itself. You need to be yeah. able to make great creative. That's a skill in and of itself. You need to be able to place ads. That's a skill in and of itself. You need to learn how to monitor and optimize ads. That's a skill in and of itself, right? You need to learn how to create funnels. All of those things are all skill sets in and of itself, but chunked together, and put together and now you've got something that is a skill set that's worth a lot of money right yeah. same with interacting yeah. as a leader right i went from being a sales manager and doing x like you need this skill set and then being a coaching manager i needed this skill set and started stacking these things on top and there's always another level right and so for me it's what skill sets do i need to acquire to become a better leader and someone that is worthy of of leading a billion dollar company
1: it's kind of like a video game in a way right like you're 100%. you're kind of leveling up on different different uh, areas of uh, strength yeah. and abilities, right? That's it, man.
0: That's it. It's literally what's the next level?
1: Do you um? When you say billion dollar company, do you do you see that being Gym Launch? Do you see yourself like, uh, no? Well,
0: I don't think Gym Launch will be there. I don't think it will be by itself a billion dollar company. But I think there's opportunities out there for us as a company, whether it's being a part of multiple companies or me just growing individually. Uh-huh. Um, I love working with Alex and Layla. Like, I love working with Alex and Layla. And I love Gym Launch, and I would love for it to be a billion-dollar company. But the market just doesn't make sense for us to be a billion-dollar company. Yeah. Like, there's just not enough gyms out there. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can't be part of one business that it's part of multiple things rolled up into one that is a billion-dollar company.
1: I see. I, I'm curious, as a previous business owner, and now in the in a upper, I mean, almost like a CEO role, do you ever have like a, an itch to like want to start your own business or how, how do you see both? And like, do you ever have a, like a desire to be an entrepreneur? Not that you're not, I mean, you're in a, in a sense, you're an entrepreneur right now at a, at a, at the top of a company, but like starting your own business.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've always had an entrepreneurial tendencies when I was 13. I, I mean, I started my first business when I was 13, washing windows. Nice. I was like a 13 year old and made like 5,000 in my first 30 days. And I was like, this is amazing. Hell I, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to flex that, but I realized, I realized that there was a whole nother level that I, I wasted a lot of time in college that I could have spent learning as well as becoming a, a more polished entrepreneur with different skill sets. Cause I focused a lot of my time on baseball. Like I was there specifically and I had a goal and I don't regret it at all because it got me to where as high, the highest level that I could have possibly achieved mm-hmm. in my opinion I got there, but I have found over time, do I think I could be an entrepreneur or do I get that itch? Every once in a while. Gym Launch allows me and the opportunity that Alex and Layla have given me allows me to scratch that itch because they give me so much freedom. Mm-hmm. They empower me to make the decisions. And yes, I have to run it by them and get the AOK, but a lot of times it's yep, that sounds great. Let's do it. You know? And so I become I found that I'm much more of an entrepreneur than an entrepreneur. And I really enjoy that. Do I think someday I'll probably own my own business? Probably I'll have a portfolio of small businesses that I manage and own. That's what I would like to do long-term. Yes. But like, I don't know right now. I I really am enjoying where I'm at and the skill stacking that's coming along with it is phenomenal. I've grown more in the last three years of working at gym launch than I had in my previous years of existence. And so Thinking about it that way, it's hard to leave something like that, especially with where I'm at personally. I just really like to go after growth. Like what's the next thing that I need to become as a human being to be a better business person, be a better leader, communicator, influencer, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're, I mean, being in a business at this scale, you're, you're able to learn skill sets that you probably wouldn't if like your business was like, let's say like a, like a million dollar business or a $10 million business, right? It's like. You're facing different challenges, like like skill stacking, different skill sets.
0: The way another way you can think about it too is at the position that I'm at, and not a lot of companies are like this, and I, I don't know how many backstage individuals like myself get to say this, but I'm in a position where basically I could look at Alex and Layla as like outside investors. Mm-hmm. Right? or advisors and like a PE firm, right? Yeah. A PE company coming in and they have the money and the resources to be able to help us grow. Yeah. And they're there as a and being able to help us and drive the growth of the business. But a lot of it on the day-to-day aspects and a lot of the strategic stuff is on myself and my wife and our team. And so I get to, we get to have that relationship in which allows us to grow because we have to, we're forced to grow, right? Because with them out of the business, it forces us to step up.
1: Yeah. It's accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little more about your relationship with, with Alex and Layla? Um, I, I know you mentioned they're kind of like your, your investors in a way. I'm, I'm curious about like your personal relationships and uh, what what you've learned from them.
0: Alex and Leila single-handedly have had the biggest impact on my life from a human being standpoint outside of my, my parents.
1: Mm-hmm. Would you call it mentorship or? Man,
0: it's hard to not say me- – it's like a combo. It's an amazing combination of mentorship and friendship. Like I am not here to say that like I will always – be friends with alex and layla no matter what right Mm -hmm. i will always look up to them always always be there but at the end of the day too they're also my bosses right now in the current situation i'm in so i would never be in that scenario where it's like yeah we're friends we're buddy buddy to that point right even though in my mind like i would say alex is probably one of my best friends right and the Mm -hmm. individuals that i get to work with are some of my best friends because i spend more time with them and i look up to all the people that i work with Um, yeah So our relationship is super close and it's gotten super close over the past, I would say year as we've been able to, my wife, over the last 18 months since COVID really, we've spent a lot more time together we've gotten to know each other a lot more. And I've had the opportunity to spend more time with Alex and Layla individually and together, um, not just online, but also in person. And they're just amazing human beings. They're just incredible. Their ability to consume information, learn it, and then apply it. Is second to none. It's the reason why they've grown so fast is their speed of their speed to growth. And like we talk about power is the ability to take an idea and put it into action and implement it. And that is true power, right? And they have they are powerful individuals. They can take an idea, put it into action, and implement it successfully like that. And being around them, I count them as both my mentors and my friends.
1: That's amazing. What would you say are the the biggest, biggest lessons you've learned from them?
0: Oh man, there's no biggest. (laughs) Um, Gosh, they're all big. So the first one that I learned was belief breaking. Is that anything is possible. And like, we say that, right? You grew up and like your parents are like, yeah, work hard and anything's possible. But like, we're also live in a culture where we're constrained because we're told like, it's not that easy, right? Or it's going to be a lot harder than you think, or that's not possible. Scale slower, go slower, take your time right? And in the stage that we were at as a company, when I first joined as both a client and then later on as a team member, that was not the case, right? We grew like crazy. We went from nothing to a huge company overnight.
1: It was like right? magic.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was magic. And yeah. it was, I saw it on a smaller, a smaller scale when I took my gym, right? In 10 days, I tripled my gym, right? And like, That was belief breaking for me to see what's possible. If you actually have the right model, the right offer, the right pieces in place, the right team members, and you have the right vision and the hard work that goes along with it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I've never worked harder in my life than this time from being a client all the way through a gym launch. But with that, anything, literally anything is possible. And like when it gets easy is when you step on the gas. Right. Too many times when things get easy, people are like, great, this is great. I'm going to chill here. Right. Sit back, relax, enjoy your winnings, all that stuff. And it's like, no, like step on the gas because there's going to be a time when you're going, it's going to be hard. And if you want to enjoy it when it's hard, you better take advantage of the times when it's quote unquote easy. I love that. So that would be broken, breaking breaking beliefs. Um, The other piece is that data is dope someone that would put my head in the sand earlier on as an entrepreneur when I owned my gyms. I would ignore the, the data that was telling me that my business was in trouble. And I like to look at things and cherry pick good things instead of actually looking at data as without feelings, right? There's no mm-hmm. emotions with it. I mentioned earlier that data is neither good nor bad, it just is. Yeah. And what we do with it is what matters. And I've learned that over the course of the three years or so, we make decisions off of off the, the data that we have. Like we don't, we don't make decisions off of feelings. And so really that has helped a ton. And it also, I'm inclined to be that way, AKA being the machine, I'm inclined to make those decisions. So it just kind of helped, um, move that along. That's another one. And then, um, offers man, Alex's book on offers is a game changer. Like understanding the offer is really what matters the most. And so having a phenomenal offer, how to construct an offer, how to construct a grand slam offer, that literally can make you millions of dollars overnight is, is been an incredible lesson. Learning from Layla, Layla is a mastermind of being able to coach people and get inside people's heads and truly understand who they are and what motivates them. So getting to work with her closely, learning how to ask better questions, fierce conversations, having hard, what most people would consider hard conversations happens on a daily basis with us as our team and our culture. It's just been, they've helped every aspect of my life like working with them. So I've become a better human, a better husband. Still working on becoming a better father. <laughs> I mean that's an always <laughs> a constant process. But yeah, it's it's been amazing their impact on my life.
1: That that's amazing. That's thanks for sharing that. That was uh some some powerful lessons right there. You just mentioned being a father and a husband. Can you talk about how you balance crazy probably busy job as a GM very very demanding with being a good father and, and a good husband, how how do you how do you balance both and how do you make it work? Managing time management is the biggest
0: thing. Everyone talks about making time. You can't make time, right? You have to manage the time that you're given. So managing my attention and my time is is number one. I love working. I love working. I almost love working above anything else. And so I am very prone to just put my head down and work. Yeah. And get lost in that. But my wife is a phenomenal balance for me. She's like the one human being in the world that gets me more than anybody else understands me. She's my best friend, vice versa. If I was going to do anything else, I would love to spend time with her. And so how we do this is we have a very unique way of doing this that I don't think a lot of people do, but they should, in my opinion. And that is we have a date night every week it is mandatory. Oh, wow. Negotiable. So we do date night every single week and it's my favorite time of the week. Um, for our kids, we stop work at a certain time. So I had it blocked off in my calendars. In the morning, I have it blocked off from 6.30 to 8 a.m. or 8.30 where it's family time, kids time. So when they wake up, I don't work. So I don't hop on calls. I don't hop on anything. It's our time. And then at 5 o'clock from 5 to 7 p.m., I have it blocked off. We go pick up our kids. We hang out with them. We do stuff. And very rarely now we've gotten to a point as a business where I don't have to work late after that. But unless there's like a project or something, I'll do that. At the end of the day, it's just kind of making those sacrifices and really prioritizing what's most important in your life. And then really just back-ending into that, right? Because a lot of people, yeah, I prioritize my family. But if I looked at your calendar, it wouldn't say that.
1: The funny thing yeah. is like, it seems like it's like the same principles you apply to business, right? Where it's like, hey, like exactly. what's, what's the system? What one day to a week and then blocking off in the calendar from this to this, you know, this is family time. It, it works. It, it works for a reason, right? It's awesome to hear that. I mean,
0: if I can say this, if anyone is listening to this and you're married and you're struggling and you're having a hard time, everyone's like, oh, it's really hard. It's not that hard. Like it really isn't because a lot of people will put things in place in their minds and they'll have these beliefs around it is hard. It's not. If you're a husband and I talk to guys all the time, if you haven't taken your wife out for a date in like who knows how long, go do it. Just go take her on a date. It doesn't matter where it is and then just do it every single week. You don't have to do anything else. If you just start there... Like, not only will you improve your marriage, but you'll improve your relationships together and with other people, and you'll find that your life becomes so much better across the board. And same with your kids. Like, I that's my biggest struggle personally is, like, I am not – being present with my kids is the hardest thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. And that's a big focus for me personally is being present with my kids, being there for them because they're getting into the age where they're playing sports and doing other stuff, and I want – to enjoy those times with them. And I don't want them looking back and being like, man, my dad was never present with me and things like that. Like, those are the things that like weigh on me.
1: Those are way more stressful than business. (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, I think that's a great, great place to to end the interview. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm sure it's like, there's a lot of learnings in there and I really appreciate your time and sharing, being so open about the business and the family stuff. And do you have anywhere you want people to follow you or check you out if they're interested or...
0: Yeah. I mean, if you guys want to follow me on Instagram, uh, at kill I don't have a ton of followers. We're about to start pumping out a lot more content, um, on that channel. So, and then, uh, YouTube gym launch, uh, if you find us gym launch on YouTube, you'll find a lot of the podcasts that we do. Uh, we host a podcast myself and two of our guys on our team do a podcast every week. Uh, it's called the gym Lords podcast. Uh, if you guys want to follow that, but other than that, I'm pretty low key. I'm behind the scenes a lot. So I don't really do a lot of, I try not to be too much out front. I try to build our team a little bit more. From a business
1: standpoint. You were saying this is your first like public podcast interview, pretty much, yeah. right? <laughs>
0: one, man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. This is the very first one. I've done like a internal one on like a private Facebook group, but never an actual public podcast.
1: Yeah, it's an honor, man. There you have it. I hope you got something out of this interview. I'm really trying to make this as valuable as possible to you. So if you have any feedback on how I can make this better, or if you have any questions for me personally, I'll get back to you. Uh, reach out to me on Instagram. My handle is at Jeremy John Mary. You can also comment if you're watching on YouTube. You can just comment below. All right, thanks for listening and have an epic week.